Go ahead and be seated. This morning's going to be a little bit different. We're going to uh, take some time this morning and really look at the Lord's Supper. Daniel's going to sing some in between here in just a few minutes, and we're going to take this time and just really uh, try to get our hearts ready before we take the Lord's Supper. There's two things that happen that week in preparation. Oops. Two things that happen that week in preparation that I think are significant. There's obviously several things that happen. The triumphal entry that we celebrate today of Jesus coming in, how quickly people forgot, you know, who he was and turned their back on him and all those kind of things. But there's two things that were given to us that I think that are hugely significant. The first is that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The first thing is that he washed the disciples' feet. John 13, I'll read this to you. It says, for the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, listen to this, to the end. Now, by the time of the supper, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas, the Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from the God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the table, laid aside his robe, and took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a a towel tied around him. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his robe, reclined at the table again, and said to them, do you know what I've done to you or for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well said. For I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a master is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. There's a key common denominator between the Lord's Supper and between Jesus' washing feet. It is the simple fact of Jesus' humility was on display for us. In washing feet, the Creator washed the created's feet. In the Lord's Supper, God is willing to become our sacrifice. It must not be taken lightly. Let me say this to you. You'll never understand the power of the Lord's Supper. Look at me. Until you understand the power of what it takes to humble yourself to wash people's feet. You never will. We will never understand our Savior until we understand what it means to wash feet. I was talking to my class about that this week, and I told them, I said, of all the people I know, I'm the least foot person there is. Feet just disgust me. I'm not a a foot person whatsoever. But you know what? In those days, people people would walk for miles, and so when you would go into someone's house, When you walked in, the lowest slave would greet you, and they would always have someone there to wash feet. That slave, according to their tradition, you wouldn't even speak their name. They were the lowest one there. You wouldn't even acknowledge them. They wouldn't acknowledge you. Most Jews didn't even believe that slave had a soul. So how does Jesus respond? He tells us that we should become like this. We should become servants, and we should become slaves. And then what does Jesus do? He backs it up there that night when they walk into the upper room. He gets there, and they've traveled a long ways to get there. Many of them have. Their feet are dirty. They're tired. They're, 
It's nasty. It's just this, it's this rented place. And he walks in, and what happens? No one's there to wash feet. Nobody, by the way, noticed that none of the disciples jumped up to do that. If you'll notice in Luke, and we'll point this out later, that the disciples were too busy trying to figure out who would be sit at the head table. They were, they were too busy trying to figure out who would be the most important person in the room to actually look and sacrifice themselves to the point of washing feet and becoming like a slave. Guys, we need to understand, like Jesus, we must be servants who don't do just servant things, but we need to be servants. A lot of us are really good at doing servant things, but we're not really good at being a servant. A lot of times we do our servant things so we can be noticed by other people. But you see, the Bible teaches us that integrity is who we are when the lights are off. Are we a servant there? How about this? Servanthood is always an intentional pursuit. You really can't fake it. It has to come from the heart. Jesus was a servant. Even though he was creator, even though he was God, he was a servant. And that night, he showed that when he became a slave. And never underestimate the power of being a servant. It should define who we are. So as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to read some passages for us here. I want us to understand that first and foremost, we must be willing to be that servant There was a direct connection between Jesus washing the feet of of Judas and all of those that were there and then feeding them at the same time and then saying, this is my body and this is my blood because of her attitudes of, of literally taking ourselves and lowering ourselves and letting God take control of us. If that is not there, if we are not willing to become that servant, we will not be worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Guys, the problem we have too much in the church is that we all want to be noticed. I've been in ministry 36 years. People get upset when you don't thank them for certain things, do certain things to them, because we all want to be noticed. Rather than working in obscurity for the glory of God, we work openly for the glory of men. And it must stop. The American church is dying on the altar of pride and arrogance. I grew up in a foot washing church. We don't do that. It's not really a command of scripture, but he tells us to do this for others. I'm just telling you, if we don't approach the supper in a humble way, if our hearts are not broken for those people around us, we will never understand what it's really about. It's interesting when you look at it, When you talk about sacred assemblies in the Bible, there's several sacred assemblies in the Bible. You know, the Sabbath one in in Leviticus 23, the seven other days of sacred assembly, the Passover, and the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Weeks, which is Pentecost, the Feast of the Trumpets in Luke 23, I mean, in, in Leviticus 23, the Day of Atonement, and the first and eighth days of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that the church in many ways was birthed on some of those sacred assemblies in the New Testament? Think about it. Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper on God's prescribed sacred assembly, which was the Feast of the Passovers. Which was what? Which was a celebration 
of the death angel passing over because of the blood of the lamb that was put over the door. And the celebration was there because Jesus was about to become our Passover feast. Our propitiation for our sin. Think about this. The first disciples were celebrated a sacred assembly when they received the Holy Spirit on another time, Pentecost. So when we look at the Lord's Supper, we don't need to look at it in a way that it's just something we tag on to the end of the service. In fact, if you read in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, we're warned by Paul. Here's what it says in verse 17 if you want to turn there. It says, now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better but for the worse. For to be with, to be, for to be with I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be, be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. What's he saying? He's saying, in other words, you've forgotten what Jesus did when he put himself above everybody else and the created washed the created's feet. Everybody's rushing to the front as if the Lord's Supper should be their supper, not God's supper. So one person is hungry while others get drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took also the cup and said, This is my, the cup of the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we proclaim the, the eternal Passover of Christ, that he is our Passover. That the death angel passes over. Why? Because Jesus overcame death. He is our lamb. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of the sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in a way he should eat the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come together under judgment. I will give instructions about other matters when I come. First off, we need to notice this. The people have become entitled they made the supper about themselves, not about Jesus, who paid the price for our sins. What does the scripture say? The scripture says they were divided. They were divided in verse 18. It says there were factions. Ultimately, in verse 20, if you read it, what they had done is they had perverted the Lord's Supper. What I want us to do as we begin this is I'm going to ask us to stand as Daniel's going to sing a song for us as we begin to prepare our hearts. We must never be divided as we come together. purpose of the Lord's Supper is to come together and prepare our hearts. Guys, I hope 
in the future. That there will be times as a church that you will say, hey, we're taking the Lord's Supper a month from now. Let's prepare ourselves. I read a story of one missionary who said he went to the, uh, he came to, he'd been in his church overseas about a month. And he says, tonight we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And he said, an elder of the church began to weep in front of him. He asked him, he says, why are you weeping? He says, oh, pastor, we don't have time to prepare. We're not worthy. We're unclean. They had perverted that because they had factions, they had divisions. They perverted the very meaning of it because they were not together as one. So why don't we stand as Daniel leads us. All is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus King of endless words no one could express how much you deserve. For I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within to the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus you be seated the People not only felt that they were entitled 
that made the supper something that it was not supposed to be. They didn't think about their sin. They forgot the price that Jesus paid. How about this? Number two, they forgot the price. They forgot the price completely because they just, 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 I think we do the same thing. I see my students do it. I do it myself. I think so often we talk about the gospel and we forget that someone had to die in order for that to happen. It's almost like celebrating the 4th of July or Memorial Day and we forget the price that people's lives were paid and that our freedom was built on the back of that. Jesus became our sacrifice. We are redeemed because of the price that Jesus paid for us. You see, his body was broken and beaten according to what he says. If you look in the scripture up in verse 24, he says, he took his, he says, this is my body. Guys, we need to understand, if you've ever watched the passion of the Christ, that gives a depiction that's probably the most accurate depiction that we have on any kind of video or anything like that, but it's actually not very accurate because Jesus was stripped naked and he was beaten to a place that his literal insides were showing. Most men would die before they ever got to the crucifixion. Then right after that, he talks about the fact that his blood, the Passover, that his blood was shed for us because the Bible tells us our sin cannot be forgiven without that. Here's what I fear. If you look at verse 26, I fear that the suppers become a religious ritual, not a call to righteousness and repentance. Verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat this and do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's why it's so hard just in a few moments for us to not be prepared because what we really need to do is before we ever come, lay at home in our home and before an altar in our own place. And we need to lay our sins down before God and we need to understand that the price was paid for us to be redeemed. We need to come and realize that God is calling us out. We need to realize that the Lord's Supper is not just a commemoration of something, it is actually a picture of someone dying for us. We are redeemed because of the price he paid. Daniel's going to sing a song, and as he does, remember the price he paid. could see was the struggle haunted by the ghosts that live in my past bound up in the shackles of all my failures wandering how long this is gonna last Then you look at this prison And you say to me, son Stop fighting a fight that's already been won I 
I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain, cause I'm not who I used to be, I am shame and regret when I hear you whisper shall lift up your head I remember oh God you're not done with me Shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. Cause I'm not who I used to be. I don't have to be the old man inside of me. Cause his day is long dead and gone. I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same. And a hope that will carry me home. I am. By a price. The Lord's Supper is the, rem- is the remembrance, it's a commemoration of that. It's not to be taken lightly. Paul's final thing was ultimately they became too self-absorbed and callous to repent. If you look at verses 28, what you see is his warning. He says, don't take the Lord's Supper with unworthy motives. We must examine our hearts. We must examine and that word there, examine, literally means to rip ourselves apart and to be honest fully within ourselves. We do not bring our pride and our arrogance to this, to this altar before God. We do not take the supper and, and, and do this and just trample all over the price that Jesus paid. What we do is we open ourselves up and we realize that, yes, we are redeemed. The chains have been broken, but we are redeemed because of the price that Christ paid. We're to remember the body that was broken. We're to remember the blood that was shed for us. We're to examine our hearts. We're not to bring our pride to this table. We're not to bring anything else to this table but our broken hearts before God because we realize in full humility that we could not pay the price that Jesus did. He paid the price for our sin. This is not ever about us. Nothing we do 
within this body is ever about us. It is about him. It is about fully being sacrificed. And what Paul was seeing in these people was, you have so soon forgotten the price that you was paid. One day, you were lost in your sin. There was no hope for you. And then Jesus redeemed you, and you celebrated, just like they, they took the palm leaves, and they waved them when Jesus came in. And the next week, they said, crucify him. We do the same. Every time we take lightly what it means for the price that Christ paid. We should not enter into this Easter week and do this because it's all about eggs or it's all about the season. There's nothing wrong with that. It's much more than that. It's not just a day set aside on the calendar. Jesus paid the price for that. This is the highest time of the year for us as Christians. Don't go into this week and lightly do that. Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a deep and abiding, broken relationship with our Savior. That's what it was meant to be. We must approach this, this supper table with reverence and fear. If you look at verse 31, and as a result, if we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with this world. So what I want us to do is I'm going to ask us to stand right now. Daniel's going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite you to come to prepare ourselves for the supper that Christ has laid before us. This is not a time to fill our bellies. This is a time to lay out our hearts. You remember several months ago, I told you out of Hebrews, when it says the word of God, it literally means a scalpel to cut into our soul. Why don't we take a moment here and lay ourselves into this? Why don't we take a moment here and ask ourselves, is there any abiding sin in our life that's keeping us from doing what God wants us to do? Is there anything in our marriage is there anything in our private life? Is there anything in our public life? How has our prayer life been? When's the last time we spent you know, time before God and just gave him his due because of the price he paid? Do you hunger for the word of God? Do we? You know, Jesus was never, he was never, I don't think, just really uh, uh, impressed by crowds. He was impressed by commitment. He took 12 men and changed the world. What could happen if we did the same? So I'm gonna invite you this morning as Daniel sings, before we take the Lord's Supper, why don't you take a moment and come? Maybe there's someone in this building that your relationship has not been right with. You need to find them before you take the supper this morning. You need to say, we need to be right. You need to ask them to forgive you. Guys, I, I believe the American church takes this way too callous. We're too cavalier about this and it's almost like we think that we deserve God's grace, and we don't. Me, above all, we don't deserve God's grace. 
So whatever it takes in this moment as Daniel sings for us to get our hearts right for the Lord's Supper, and the deacons are going to come down here in a moment. Whatever it takes, you do that. But don't take this lightly. Don't. Let's sing, Daniel.